You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson, and my friend, Sarah Raven. In this episode, we are championing the good life, but hopefully including all the glamorous aspects of the vegetable and herb and salad garden. All things that you can order for seedlings from us to slot into your garden if you've possibly missed the boat with seed sowing for the growing season ahead, because with the summers getting longer, longer autumns, there's plenty of time still to get lots of wonderful edibles and scents into your garden, whether it's a small garden or a big garden. So Sarah, what are your favourite things to be thinking about getting into the ground for harvesting in the months to come? Well, without doubt, for me, the things that I tend to get as seedlings at this stage in the year, so it's quite late, are tomatoes and courgettes. Yeah. Because... What I find with tomatoes particularly is that they are quite slow growing. They're actually, I think, originally perennial vines from sort of a a jungle, I think. I think they're a jungle vine. And they really do take a while to germinate. I mean, maybe 10 days to germinate, then another sort of 10 days to two weeks before they're ready to be pricked out, and then another 10 days to two weeks before they're ready to be potted on. And then, to be honest, I tend to pot them on at, at, you know, a fourth stage. And I really think of tomatoes as the thing, just like kids, children, that they need sort of nursery, primary school, secondary school, and if they're lucky, university, before they go out into the big, big wide world. And that's based on trialing, which is that what we found is if we put a seedling, a little baby seedling, straight into the greenhouse, they, they really struggle and they delay the crop and the crop is never as big or as good. So that's one of the things I do tend to buy as little plants at this stage in the year. And you can either get the mail order where you'll get a much bigger selection or you can go to the garden centre. But you do tend to, unfortunately, then have to select from rather sort of, I find on the whole, slightly not tasty varieties or not the most tasty. I think the exception that is really widely available, which is absolutely splendid, is Sun Gold. And, you know, a lot of people, it's widely available. And I like Gardener's Delight. I mean, there's been so much breeding from Gardener's Delight because it does get this thing called greenback where the apex of the fruit doesn't tend to ripen so well. But I find in a greenhouse, Gardener's Delight is pretty good. But anyway, If you possibly can, I would get them from a mail order company. Ideally ours, of course, but we're not the only one, Um, because you will get a much bigger range that they have, well, in our case, trialed and tested for decades to find the tastiest and the most reliable for the home gardener, really. So definitely for me, it's tomatoes, tomatoes, tomatoes. And you do ideally need a greenhouse But if not, a really sheltered south-facing spot, but you just have to hope that you don't get blight because unfortunately blight is more of a problem outside than it is in a greenhouse. So I've 
had a bit of a monologue there, Arthur. Sorry. Well, can can we actually focus on me because I feel blackmailed into growing tomatoes this year by you? Oh yeah, good. And I'm, but I'm <laughs> blackmailed but is a little I'm, strong. But I'm Mister hasn't got a greenhouse, so these tomato seedlings that I've ordered, yes, when they arrive, so they arrive as nice plugs seedlings. Yeah. So would you suggest I pot them up? Definitely. Have them on my windowsill. Yeah. Definitely. Start to stake them. Yes, they absolutely do need a cane beside them because as soon as a tomato bends over to the side looking for the light, it sets in that bent position. It won't right itself when you take it outside. So I really recommend just a little a branch from the garden just yeah. at its side. And as it grows, you know, you really need to attach it to that. And as, of course, you know, as soon as it starts to form auxiliary buds, now that is the growth that comes between the main stem and the leaf. And that is, it's almost the opposite of, I think of it between the shoulder and the neck of a human. If you had a sprout suddenly coming out between your shoulder and your neck, that's exactly equivalent to the tomato. So the main stem and the leaf, you want to start pinching out those auxiliary buds really in the third or four leaf stage. Really? Yeah. Okay. So we don't let them become bushy no. little upturned armpits as soon as you see them. Exactly. Uh, although I have to say there are yeah. some there are some exceptions. So you've got to be sure that you are pinching out what's called an indeterminate or a cordon variety, not a bush or a determinate. And all that means determinate means it gets to a certain size and then it stops growing. And it bushes out. So it mm. won't form this vine like the sort of jungle vine. And I know one of the ones that you're particularly keen on yes. is the micro cherry. Now yeah. that is a bush. So you okay. do not pinch that oh, out. So it can just be allowed to become a nice little plant. Yeah. 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 Good. So that doesn't need any training. Now it, it makes tomatoes sound complicated when right. I say training, but I promise you it is, it's the easiest thing. And it's one of the things I reckon if there was 10 jobs in the whole gardening year, for me, pinching out and training my tomatoes is one of my favorite 10 jobs in the whole mm. year. And it's because you know you're going to get this unbelievably tasty thing. And at the end of this podcast, I'm going to give a couple of my favorite recipes for tomatoes. But also you get that unbelievable scent. Now you wouldn't quite call it perfume, but it's sort of a cross between sort of tobacco and a, a bit of black currant. I always think it's just, and slightly citrusy. It's that tomato leaf perfume mm. is one of my favorites in the whole world. And when you're pinching out, not only do you get it all over your hands, which is so lovely and they go green, but the whole of your greenhouse or the area that you're growing them is full of that incredible aroma. And it's just heady and exquisite in my view. I completely love it. Yeah, I do too. I was given a, a tomato-scented candle as a gift from doing a horrendous photo shoot once by a candle company. I'm not going to say what company it was, but this tomato vine candle, it did smell gorgeous. But you've still got time, I think, to sow yourself as companions, which also have good scent for tomatoes, all the French marigolds. They grow yeah. really quickly. Yeah. And that's why I'm choosing micro cherry. I'm going to have lovely terracotta pots all on mass down a table on a plant stand that are going to surround the micro cherries with the all different lovely French marigolds. So it's going to look really like a lovely Mexican Italianate balcony mm. with something to cut and something to eat because these micro cherries are really small, like little sugar bombs. I wish I could grow 
the cherry tomato collection, but I just haven't got room. So we'll start okay. off with micro cherry this year. And if I like it, maybe next year I'll become like you yeah. and want more things to eat. Because, we'll you know, in your conservatory that you've got, yeah. you easily could have a couple of tomato plants by just the door. Just lighthouse, yeah. yeah. Yeah, literally, because that would be light enough for mm. them. So I definitely, the thing that I would passionately recommend based on really honestly decades of trialing would be the tomato and basil collection in our range. And that includes two that I've already mentioned, Gardener's Delight and Sun Gold. But I've got to add my favorite tomato in the whole wide world, which is called Black Russian, which I know is not politically correct right now, but it is the most delicious tomato. Shall we call and- it something else? Can <laughs> we rename it for oh, this? It's that in French, so perhaps that's nicer. It's called Noir de Creme <laughs> Much from the better. Crimea. No, that's oh, not politically oh, no. correct either. <laughs> so, but it, I remember <laughs> I remember going to Russia with some friends of mine and walking into this market in St. Petersburg. And I'd always thought of tomatoes as sort of Mediterranean countries, particularly Italy. And there we were in Russia and there was literally stalls filling this whole huge market just heaving with these black tomatoes and they're sort of they're the most extraordinary color they're like sort of blacky bluey reddy color and like a sort of rather threatening sky before a thunderstorm uh, but with some red through it as well and uh, they are juicy and they are delicious and they're also super healthy because the dark coloring is coming from anthocyanin, which is the super brain antioxidant that you get in blueberries, which of course is why anyone over the age of 50 stuffs themselves with blueberries if they can afford it, because it's so good at protecting against Alzheimer's. But it's also Mm. got lycopene, which is the red pigment, and that is another fantastic antioxidant, which has been proven to be really effective at protecting against all sorts of cancers. So you know, not only are you having something unbelievably lovely to grow, you're having something unbelievably delicious to eat and unbelievably good for you. So black cream or black Russian or noir de cream or whatever you want to call it is tip top in my absolute top 10 plants for planting at this time of year. What else, Arthur? Well, when I, when I worked in Stoke-on-Trent, I had a friend called Vicky and Vicky owned a, um, as like a toiletry company and she sold hand sanitizers and things. Now I remember her saying when we were in a supermarket, all this salad is washed with the same stuff that's sold to treat swimming pools with. And that has actually stuck in my head ever since. So I am going to try and maybe order the spring salad and stir fry collection. Cause yesterday when I was at Perchel and I was doing the flower wall, I did vases of mustard red frills and it looked so beautiful with the violas. I did think, oh, if only I'd have got a bit of this in the garden, it looks so nice. Mm. So I'm going to order this and I might split the seedlings between myself and my dad because mm. he's started growing veg. Great. And I remember listening to you when we were away teaching and someone said, what do you do about crop rotation? I know at Perch, what you do is you, you're you sowing a lot of this lettuce stuff, aren't you? And mm. all the mustards and things, their roots are good for the soil, aren't they? Incredibly good. So it's important if you're, you know, like my dad, he's just got the typical two vegetable beds. Mm. And for the past two years, he's just grown kale and purple sprouting. And now I'm saying to him, look, you've got to rotate. And he's Mm. like, well, what what do I grow? Yeah. So I think getting him one of these nice salad collections will be good. That's a really good idea. He'll eat a lot of it and it'll be something that he's not really succeeded in doing before. I mean, it's getting a tad late for the mustards because they do bolt when it gets hot and dry. But as long as we have a kind of moist 
May into June that they'll be fine. Mm. And as you say, they have the rather unflattering name yeah. that, that, that the musters are called soil fumigants, oh. which, <laughs> uh, which I think, you know, makes it sound like some terrible sort of aerosol can. But anyway, they are incredibly good at cleansing your soil. And so, for instance, if you'd had blight where your tomatoes were in a bed last summer, and it was a bad year for blight last summer, tomato blight, you could sow maybe one or possibly two crops of, of these salad leaves, but particularly the mustards. And that would, you know, really, really help with clean, cleansing the soil from the fungal spores. So, yeah, really, really, really worth doing. And I agree. And, of course, they're cut and come again. So the more you pick, the more they flower. I mean, not flower, the more they leaf. leaf. We don't want them to flower. So that would, that would definitely be on my list too. And... Without doubt, as I mentioned at the beginning, my second one for planting right now would be courgettes. And a friend of mine who is a seasoned vegetable grower taught me this very good thing about getting early-ish crops when it still can be quite windy and the cold wind, uh, you know, it's, the cold is in the wind as much as anything. And so what you really need, particularly if you live up north or you live quite high, is to create a windbreak. So Plant your courgette straight into the garden, but don't do it without any protection. And the best thing of all, which is incredibly cheap, is to, or, you know, because you can use it, is to get some straw, ideally organic, from somewhere and use that literally on the windward side so that the courgette plant is then in the shelter of the, of the straw bale and then use the straw on your compost heap. So once you don't need it anymore, particularly if it's organic, you can then layer it between your kitchen waste and your garden waste in a nice sandwich of equal size. And the thing about the straw is it's rich in carbon, whereas the green material is rich in nitrogen. And by getting the carbon-nitrogen balance correct in your compost heap, you create the right environment for aerobic decomposition, which is super quick. Where I was brought up in my parents' garden, we had a a, a compost heap that we'd put all our kitchen waste on. And it was it was a sort of slightly putrid black mess. It turned into compost in the end, but that was anaerobic and it's very slow. But so having your straw for your windbreak, for your courgettes growing outside, or even your tomatoes, and then using it on your compost heap is a really good, efficient way of gardening. Would you grow courgettes? You probably haven't got room, have you? I did. We did have a lovely time. Someone gave us a bag of courgette flowers last summer. Mm. And they were absolutely gorgeous in batter. And yeah. that's what you should do, isn't it, with your flowers? Because otherwise you get too much fruit. Yeah. You yeah. can pick the flowers off. I, I probably, I'd prefer pumpkins to courgettes, I think. Okay, Because yeah. I'm still addicted to pumpkin being still alive. So that's what i choose over the courgettes. But I think if I had a bigger garden, yeah. So, um... With courgettes, I mean, I definitely think having a multicolored bunch rather than just growing all green like you can get from a sort of garden center, mm. I would grow a yellow, a green of a dark variety of green and then a pale green. And so the ones I tend to grow are, there's one called Bianca, which is white of Trieste, white of Trieste. Romanesco is a really fabulous variety of courgette with ribs, characteristic ribs down the fruit. And then... I really like Atena polka. We did a um, trial comparing it to Soleil and Taxi, which were our yellow ones previously. And I thought the Atena polka was slightly nuttier. So I would, I would go for those as a trio. And just as you say, 
I pick the courgette flowers almost as much as I pick the courgettes. And the one thing is you just need to carefully with your hands, just slightly ease open the flower and pick the stigma from the end of the fruit. And it sticks out about sort of a couple of centimeters. And you just want to pull that off because that's a little bit bitter when you're frying your courgette flowers. And then you just make up a mix. It's so easy. And it's such a nice glamorous thing. If you've got people coming to supper, I make up a mix of cream cheese can literally be Philadelphia, either peas or pine nuts, either mint or thyme, and just a little bit of olive oil and lemon juice to loosen it. And then one teaspoon only go into the courgette flour. And then it's almost like Velcro, the flowers. It sort of sticks, they stick to each other. So you just twist them and then dip them into a nice light batter. I tend to make mine with very cold beer and use it straight away because then the cold batter hits the hot oil and it puffs up like tempura. And that's really delicious. Anyway, I will put that uh, recipe into the podcast notes. So if any of you um, want to do that, obviously courgette flowers would, will take a while to come, but the great thing about courgettes for the vegetable garden from May and June is that they are super quick. And that's one of the reasons I would recommend buying them as seedlings really, because you can literally just whack them in and you'll be picking courgettes within the month, pretty much. Lovely. I'm going to go for more mint because I can't get enough mint actually in my garden. It's, it just adores being in a pot. And the Moroccan's the most lovely for tea. And yeah. I've got a trick. If you've got your mints in pots from last year and at this time of year, it's waking up, but often they can look a little bit tired. Take your scissors, cut them right, right back. So you literally look like you've mowed over them completely. So you're seeing the compost. Tip the whole pot out. And then with a bread knife, honestly, cut it up like wow. it's a tray bake. And all the roots will look like spaghetti. But what you've done is you basically slice the whole roots and each bit of root will then sprout. So mm. you shove it all back in the pot. Don't worry about it. Gosh. And then just top dress the pot with a little bit of fresh compost. So it looks smart. And I promise you within a fortnight, if not before, all those chopped up roots will re-sprout and you'll have the most gorgeous, healthy, vigorous looking pot of fresh mint again. How did you discover that, Arthur? I just went out a few weeks ago and looked at all these pots of mint and I thought, these all look really awful. Mm. And I thought, I've got to do something because because my garden's small, I can't just pop them up into bigger pots. I love that. And I so thought, how do I... Really... Yeah, because roots. basically if you think about mint... You know, the root, yeah. the tiniest bit of mint root will sprout. Yeah, I just, just like thought, bindweed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly like that. So I just thought, I'm just going to cut the whole lot up and shove it back in the same pot. And literally the pots look mm. like I've just bought lovely fresh pots of mint. So if you buy a mint collection this year or just one pot of mint, it is perennial. And I would just do that every year now just to keep the pot invigorated. Maybe even twice a year. Yeah, you could do. I mean, if you're cutting it for the kitchen, that's, I mean, you know, mm, if mm. after it's been sat outside over the winter, often looks tired. But I love mint now. And actually, if you've got anywhere in the garden that just isn't working, that's, I'd just plant mint into the ground now. Well, yeah, it will romp away. Yeah, but it's got to... good ground cover, isn't it? I'd yeah, much it rather have mint under the hedge than ground elder. Well, that's true. Um, that's true. And it's a wonderful cut yeah, flower. Yeah, and if it does flower, the bees love it. And as you've said, wonderful cut flower. Mm. In fact, I remember you used to have it under the hedge, didn't you, in the cutting garden? Yeah, we did. And we're actually doing a mint trial this yeah. year on, on your behest. I mean, you requested yeah, it. Yeah, there's so many scents I'm now. so looking forward to it, yeah. um, both for making for tea, using in the kitchen, and then also as a cut flower. Mm. We're, we're trialling it for all things, so yeah. I'm excited about that. Okay, well, I'm afraid there's still a couple of things I want to mention. Although yeah, I've I know got one thing left. Too. We're running out of time. But the next one I wanted to mention is the nasturtiums. 
So I just, I really love multi-purpose plants. That's one of my things, particularly if you're gardening on a really small scale and like it with Arthur, where you've just got a sort of yard, a sunny yard. Um, nasturtiums are fabulous. They are incredibly easy to grow from seed very quickly, or you can get seedlings and you plant them and they will rather like the courgettes be giving you something to pick within weeks and certainly within a month. And remember, you can eat the leaves, the baby leaves in salad. You can eat the buds. You can eat the seed pods and use them like capers and pickle them in a nice vinegary mix, just like capers. And of course, you can eat the flowers. You can pick the flowers. You can use them as a container plant. The flowers are edible. You can use them as a climber growing up hazel posts. That's what we're going to, we've got a big nasturtium avenue at Perch Hill that we're just planting, which will look fabulous till late in the year. And you can use them as trailers. If you've got a new path of gravel that you don't, it all looks a bit sort of new and, and a bit immaculate. I'm not very keen on immaculate. You just put a few seedlings and nasturtiums down the side of that, and it'll be just like in Monet's garden in, at Giverny in France. You'll have this wonderful sea of all these different tones of oranges and reds and yellows and peaches. There are so many wonderful varieties now, including purples even, sort of muted purples. So I think the nasturtium is definitely, again, in one of my top 10 favorite families because they're just so fabulous. The one thing people are wary of is that they are a brassica. They're in the brassica family. So they do get the cabbage white caterpillar eggs and then caterpillars, sorry, butterflies. <laughs> and um, so if you want to eat them, you just want to be really careful to wash them well, or even perhaps put them under some fleece, the one little area that you're going to harvest from and the rest, it doesn't really matter. But if, if you want to eat them in salad and you don't want to have to look through for the caterpillars or the eggs, then just, just cover them in a bit of fleece or environment and you'll be fine. But they're, they're a really joyful, wonderful, easy flower and they love rubbish soil. So if you've got a really sort of rubbishy bit of builder's rubble, they'll still grow very happily. Over to you. Lemon verbena, simply because ah. it's just so wonderful in a tea. It's scented and it's brilliant for drought tolerance. So, yeah. you know, if you're going away a lot, it will be very happy on the dry side, very happy in a large pot or even a deep window box. And in a microclimate, it would overwinter really well. I know yours overwinters, doesn't it? It's become huge and mm. you just cut it back, don't you? Totally. And it's the most wonderful, wonderful thing. And also... I would actually, if I had bushes like yours, I would save every single leaf and sell the dried leaves for mega money because you can't buy it as a dried tea, can you, from anywhere? Well, it's hard really. to find. Yeah, yeah, hard to find. Yeah. So grow yeah. your own and share it with your friends. I think Christmas presents of dried lemon verbena tea leaves would be lovely. Yeah, that's um, such a nice idea. Yeah. Sort of stocking filler for friends. That's a really yeah. good idea. Okay, well, my final one, I think, would be beetroot. And I said I was going to give a recipe for tomatoes, which I will finish with because this is a veg one. So I think we can have three recipes for this episode. But honestly, it's so funny how one goes around in circles. About 20 years ago, my favorite salad for really quick and easy lunch was rocket, feta and beetroot salad. So I would boil some beetroot, depending on size, 30 to 40 minutes, peel them. Sometimes I roast them now with herbs and juniper berries and things, but peel them once they've cooled a bit, chop them up, and then just a big bed of peppery rocket and then just crumble some feta over the top, a lemon juice and olive oil and salty dressing. Absolutely fabulous lunch and straight from the garden, 
So Wild Rocket is really good for heat tolerance. And so that's looking great now. Doesn't tend to get flea beetle nearly as much as Salad Rocket. So Wild Rocket as your base. Beetroot over the top in three colors, pink, orange, and purple. And then just some nice bright white feta over the top. And you've got the most wonderful lunch. And then the final recipe that I just wanted to give was, oh, actually, can I do two? So for tomatoes, one of my favorite lunches when I'm trying to be healthy is 500 grams of tomatoes. And so that's really easy. That's kind of like a really good cupped, your two hands together quantity. Pick from the greenhouse soon with one of a baby cucumber. And I love the baby variety called La Diva. So I pick one of those. I pick a handful, cupped double handful of tomatoes. And sometimes I'll put a red pepper, sometimes I won't. And then a really good slosh, two or three tablespoons of an extra virgin olive oil and half the quantity, you know, maybe one to two of a red wine vinegar, some salt, and I whiz it up in a food processor. Fabulous instant gazpacho. Takes precisely one minute to make. And it is the most, it's like, it's like health in a bowl and it's completely and utterly tasty. Final recipe is something that you and I actually had for supper last night, which is a poppy seed pastry base. And then with a feta covering in the base of the flan tray and then really sweet pureed tomatoes that again have been whizzed up and then cooked down really slowly with lots of olive oil over the top. And it's just the most incredibly filling, easy, sustaining, healthy form of tomato tart. I adore it. So it's the poppy seed, feta and tomato tart. And again, I'll put all the recipes for this in the podcast notes. So there you are, Arthur, you see, you think you don't like veg, but actually I think, I think I'm finally converting yeah. you. Slowly, slowly, bitter taste and lots of scent. It is working, yes. <laughs> and all organic and pesticide free and no air miles. So there we Good. go. Triumphant. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And next week, we're going to be talking about the flower equivalent. So the seedlings that you can still plant now, late in the year, things like cosmos and zinnias that will give you joyful vases, jam jars, single stems throughout your house for summer and autumn. So we'll see you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.